I'm Abby. And I'm Allie. And it's About About Time time for True Crime. Crime. Hey. Hi. How are you? Oh, just great, you know. Oh, just great, you know. Oh, how about that? This is the the Midwest is coming out of Abby. My goodness. Oh, don't you know? Oh, don't you know? Oh, I was ootin' a boot the other day. (laughs) Ootin' a boot. (laughs) It's out in the moose. It's running to the store. And you came to New England and it's wicked pissa. Yeah. I had to go down to Boston and park the car in the Harvard Yard. No, you're not there yet. No. We'll get you there, though. Maybe. Or maybe I'll just always be a little, oops, sorry about that, my whole life. <laughs> I think you're permanently going to be, oops, sorry about that. Oh, I know. The oops will live Or on. the, oops, I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Let me squeeze by you. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> Excuse me. Excuse me. I don't like excuse me. But I do like I'll squeeze by ya. Is that weird? Excuse me sounds like a I like if you're over the age of twelve, I don't think you're allowed to say it. Okay, good. All right, I'm glad we're on the same page. But let me squeeze by ya. Oh, sorry about that. Let me just squeeze by you there. I would be like, Oh, I'm so big you have to squeeze by. Mm-hmm. No, so I'm know. so big I have to squeeze by I don't by. know. I just <laughs> I feel like I'm New England past you there. New Englanders could rip you apart for that. Yeah, well, wouldn't be the first time. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm so excited. Hi, hello, and welcome to About Time for True Crime, your favorite true crime podcast. Thanks, guys. You shouldn't have said that. That sweet. Goodness. Every week you flatter us. Damn. (laughs) We hope you are having a great day today, and we're so excited that you're spending it with us. Yay. Uh, Today we're going to do part two of Ted Bundy, and I'm so excited. I know that we have not been super chatty at the beginning of these, but that is because I literally have 50 pages of research on this fucker, and today is just, you know, another 15. So. Yes, we're keeping the beforehand banter to a minimum because we have so much to cover in this episode. And there's so fucking much. I am so excited to like sit back and just hear what Abby has. We've got my Christmas tree, the, the lights are on, we've got a vanilla bean candle. Ooh, yes. We just had root beer floats because apparently we are also 12. And we're in cozies. Yeah, we're in our comfy cozies. Comfy cozies. Comfy cozies. Comfy cozies. Comfy cozies. And yeah, we're like in our fat pants hanging out and just excited to talk the absolute um, one of the worst people alive. Uh, Yeah, piece of shit needs to steal, you know, P-O-S-K-O-S-F-U-C-K. I don't know all of it. I just have so much with him. There's so much. But I have such an issue because every, so many other of the killers, you kind of look at them and it's awful and you shouldn't judge a book by its cover. But you look at a picture of like Richard Ramirez. Yeah. And you're like, there's evil in his eyes. Yeah. Like there's there's some people it's almost like you can see it in. Yeah. And in Ted Bundy, I would have fallen for him. Not yeah. fallen in love with him, but Just I mean, I would have fallen, fallen, fallen for the ploy. I yeah. feel like I could have been... Maybe not necessarily one of the people close to him, but I would have fallen for the guy with the sling yeah. and, or like on crutches trying to get his books into the car because I would be the klutz that would have crutches and fall with yeah. my books that I'd be like, oh, let me help oh, a, like a fellow right, klutz you out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and I, I get that because I'm, I don't know if you guys know this, but I am like the biggest klutz there ever fucking was i've never seen somebody trip and fall and i don't mean like fall like trip i mean like was standing (laughs) straight up and then is laying straight down in a matter of a split second 
and there's a thud and it's funny and every the iced coffee goes everywhere every fucking time i can never fall without a coffee in my hand well it's just that you always have a coffee in your hand so yeah. when you fall a coffee's also gonna go flying that's also true <laughs> but yes yeah, so uh. th- that part of me feels yeah. like oh i i would help i would help this guy if i saw him in the real world I think the the curious part, and we'll get into it a little more today, but I think what throws a lot of people off about Teddy Boy over here is just the the ability to fit in outwardly. I still don't really believe that many people who interacted with him for longer than five minutes didn't get uneasy. So, like, we'll talk later today about the first time that he takes two women in one day. Mm-hmm. And he, on the first one was super insistent like all of the witnesses around were like yeah he just wouldn't stop telling her that she needed to help him and it's like a beach full of people yeah so there's no reason that it needs to be her so like i think that there are red flags and alarm bells that do go off but no he just had a decent looking face but is that when he started to get frenzied or was that when oh i think we'll see frenzied today because I think I've talked about this before on the pod, but when I took a profiling class in college, it was my favorite class. Um, oh, I love those classes. But she, our professor, didn't tell us who we were writing a profile for. She just gave us circumstances, sort of like a timeline of certain things, no names, very brief descriptions of things. And we had to try to build a profile off the minimal details that we got. And none of us had put it together that it was Ted Bundy. But it was. And then you hear about like the sling and you hear about the um, I need help with my Volkswagen. Can you help me? And there'd be someone would spot the bug or someone would see that this brunette haired man or things like this. And so you start to put it together and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, my God, this is Ted Bundy. But when you're building the profile, you're realizing you are building something about him. Right. But it's just every man. Yep. And I don't like the capital E, capital M. Every, like every guy everywhere yeah. he's brown just hair, anybody brown eyes like richard ramirez they would yeah. say like he had that bad breath he would like he had a scent there was like sweat there was there were these physical like giveaways yeah and you looked at him and you were like wow something really awful must have happened to him or he's really bad yeah and it was like one or the two john wayne gacy you'd be like he's an odd guy who employs a lot of teen boys like there would be yeah. like little gives with ted bundy he's the one i keep coming back to where i'm like he's not this drop dead gorgeous guy but he's handsome enough yeah he's a law student he's working hard he's employed you know what i mean like all of these things you think he can't be that bad he's got friends he's got a girlfriend with a kid you just in your head you you fill in the blanks with he can't be that bad he must be harmless yeah i think that's a and i think it's also good to point out here that like a lot of people there only ever knew ted at an arm's length mm-hmm. right so like people that he worked with or people that maybe were in classes or something except there was one psychology professor that was like this fucker is weird which i love but um <laughs> <laughs> like anybody who is at an arm's length would have thought that yeah well, f- how many people really get to know you deeper than at arm's length, right? Right. You have these certain 
veils up you know at work you're going to present a certain way you're in your professional capacity in school it's a little bit different right with family maybe depending on what side of the family or which family members or are you know are they your grandparents which is different than how you hang out with your cousins you know all these things where you do shift a little bit how you're going to behave yeah but for him maybe everyone was like two arms lengths away yeah and it's it's definitely interesting i think because obviously like you said everybody has a different way that they sort of compose themselves and come across based off of their audience like when we talk about writing when we talk about crafting an argument that we always talk about know your audience you Mm -hmm. have to know who you're talking to and i think a lot of people do that subconsciously i think for ted everything he did was so conscious that it all just blended together to be one thing right and adjusting for your audience isn't being manipulative or isn't being fake in that way because everyone does that you have to you shouldn't probably speak to your boss the way that you speak to your best friend right because then i'd be like bitch what'd you do this weekend you know like and she'd be like i went to a baptism yeah there's a different (laughs) way that you handle things and as you should so not blurring those lines but he could just easily slip in he could fit in he could do that yeah and i think for him the way it comes across to me a lot of the times is he really only presented to people as like the most composed sort of professional gentlemanly way that he could which you know, my personal take on this, and I hope this doesn't come across as poor or whatever, but I just, I think that is the most walls that you can put up in general when you talk to people. Like at work, I am the probably least loud version of myself. I am me sort of simmered down to like, this is who I am, but I'm here to get something done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a professional. Right. And I think for him, that was every day because he was always there to get something done. The problem is getting something done was going to law school or raping and murdering women. And so how Mm -hmm. does he do that? He acts professional and he acts like a gentleman. Yeah, because there's something to there's a transaction he's wishing to complete here. Right. So I think it's it's just very interesting to me because a lot of this case and a lot of the... I think reputation that Ted Bundy has is from the trials, from the TV stuff, from like him being in the limelight. And he soaked that shit up. But we'll get to that next week. So, okay, sorry. Just get into today. Okay. All right. Let's start over. Before we do totally happen, I'm just once again going to give the biggest, fattest trigger warning. Today's is going to definitely be much harder than last week's. Um, We do have an onslaught of victims we have 17 that we'll be talking about today alone wow and you know take a beat if you need to but we're literally talking about assault murder necrophilia it's it's just tremendously mentally ill and violent so if you need time take it and hey if you need resources we got them all in our instagram it's always linked below in our link tree so check them out but lastly please remember our giveaway You know, every week we ask that you guys rate, review, subscribe, follow, whatever, all of the above. But we like to incentivize it when we can. Just as a reminder, the way to enter that would be to follow our Instagram, share the 100th post. And hey, if you share multiple, you'll get more than one entry, baby. 
And just tag us in the post when you share it in your story so we can make sure that we see it because we want to be able to see it and you can send us a cute little message to let us know. And if we don't follow you and you're private, make sure you take like a little screenshot. You can DM us. We'll see it that way. And we can just post it that way. But we want to give you all the credit too. And also just to send in a little screenshot or a little proof of your rate or review wherever you listen. This could be Apple, Spotify, RSS, Google, wherever. And but if you do it on multiple, ooh, bonus points. Yeah. If you do it across multiple, you'll get multiple entries there too. So make sure that we see you. We can give you the credit for that. But otherwise, we're so excited. The last day to enter that will be December 19th. So just keep your little eye out. You got a week left. You're doing okay. But we're so excited. All right. Let's jump into it. All right. So today we're going over a majority of the victims that we'll be talking about for Teddy Boy. I also just want to give a quick recap of what we covered last week to refresh your memory. But if you haven't listened, go ahead and do that now. We'll wait. Okay. And welcome back. Okay. Hey. So (laughs) for anyone who just needs that quick little recap, last week we talked about Ted's mental health diagnoses, or at least those that are widely agreed upon of antisocial personality disorder and narcissistic personality disorder. We briefly touched upon attachment theory. We'll get more into that next week, so we'll talk more about it then. We also discussed Ted's childhood and the violence and mental illness that baby Ted had to experience from his grandparents, who, by the way, told him that they were his parents until he was like five when he left with his mom. Mm. And then he moved with Louise, his mother, to Washington, where she married Johnny Bundy, his stepfather who adopted him and gave him his name poor guy then we discussed ted's potential first victim Anne marie burr the eight-year-old who disappeared from her house one night then we discussed ted's college days and his obsession with diane edwards before starting a long-term relationship with elizabeth liz kendall we ended at the attack that ted made on karen epley who was a woman that ted brutally assaulted with a piece of her bed frame that he ripped out And that's where we left off in 1974. So today we're going to pick up. That was in January. That was January 6th. Today we're picking up on February 4th. Okay, so a month later. Yeah, less than technically. Mm. On February 4th, 1974, just a month after the attack on Karen, Ted struck again. On February 5th, Linda Ann Healy, a college student at the University of Washington, didn't show up for her shift at the local news radio. Linda was a big skier and often went on air to share the weather and ski reports for the day. The day before, Linda got up early, did her ski report, went to classes, even went to choir practice on campus. That is so wholesome. She's the cutest little thing. And... At 5 p.m., her roommate Jill picked her up on campus and they ate dinner with like all of the roommates. And they were roommates. And they were roommates. They returned home about 8.30 and then Linda and several of her roommates went to the bar and had a great night. That sounds like such a good day. I know. It's like epitome of college. You got like a Thursday. Some radio stuff done. You got some class stuff done. You got to hang out with some friends. You went to choir. You got your groceries. You had a beer. It was great. Like, what else is there to do when you're in college? And if I can, I hate that it was her last day. But that sounds like a pretty good last day if you have to have one. Mm, I know. So Linda then talked to her roommates happily before heading off to bed around midnight. 
She had to get up early. You know, she did work at the radio station for the ski report. So she was always up there talking about the weather for the mountains for the day, what might be going on, what people need to look out for. Oh, yeah. You got to be up and out early for that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. The next morning, Linda wasn't in her room when her alarm went off, which was weird because, again, it's early as hell. And they literally had a beer the night before. So I'd be like, snooze. Right. But her alarm just keeps going off. Right. Exactly. And so her roommate goes in to turn it off. And she's like, well, this is fucking weird. Like her bed's made and Mm. she's not in bed turning off her alarm. Maybe she just went to work, you know. And the only weird thing about that was like Linda didn't normally make her bed before she went to work. It was like, oh, my God, it's so early. And she'd roll out of bed, go to work, come home and then do it after. Mm -hmm. But who knows? Maybe she woke up early. Like she was up, but she was up before her alarm. So, you know, they didn't think much of it. Until her work called them and they were like, hey, do you know where Linda is? Because she's not here. Oh, no. And so at first, Kathleen McChesney, who was a detective with the King County Police Department, later investigated the disappearance. But she said the morning of she actually remembered because she listened to Linda every morning because she was a skier. And she was like, oh, it's so weird. She's not on today. Wow. So I think that's a really cute connection. That she was just, she was in it since day one. You know what I mean? And maybe this is just because of what we sort of do now with podcasting, but we get this all the time that people reach out to us and it's like, I listen to you every week. I feel like I know you. Yeah. Or I've I've caught up on everything. I listen almost every day. I feel like we're just sitting around hanging out as friends. Yeah. And there's a level of that when you get in a habit and you look forward to listening to somebody whether that's just a quick five minutes about what the weather is going to be like or anything, but you have an attachment. Like we all have our favorite newscasters. We all have like the people, Oh, I like this guy or this chick's awesome, but everyone else eh, I don't really care about. Right. You know, like you, you have your preferences that that's so odd that the detective probably felt like she had some sort of connect to her. Yeah. It was, she was part of her daily routine. She's part of her habit. You know, you get up, you throw on the news, you go to work and then, you know, the traffic where you're sitting behind the asshole who won't turn right on red where there's no sign. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what's going on with the fucking mountains today? <laughs> you know, and, and there's probably a level of that that you look forward to getting to do. And so how right. odd is it that, oh, it's not on today? Hmm. She said she being Kathleen, the detective said that was very unusual because she was a person you relied on five days a week to tell you what was going on. Oh, see. So like she knew and they I do think that's interesting because especially where it's like mountains and safety for skiing like that truly your life can depend on that depending how high you are on a mountain where you are. So I think that's a very interesting connect there. But also of note is that this is the first ever crime scene of one of the other detectives like ever period. So not hers, but one of the other ones had never seen a crime scene before. Correct. Okay. That was... Bob Keppel, he was another detective at the Carroll County PD. He was like, this is the first thing I've ever been on. Wow. Imagine that being fucking Ted Bundy. That's daunting. I know. Overwhelming. But they did notice a few oddities. There wasn't really anything that suggested foul play in the room, except for once they looked a little bit further. Initially, Linda's bed was made. And that was the only thing that was weird because it's not normally made. Mm -hmm. But as they sort of investigated more, they found that there was a little blood on the pillow 
and the head of the bed. And then there were a few spots in the bed, but it wasn't anything overwhelming. Like you wouldn't look at it and be like, oh, someone got murdered here. Hmm. Also, Linda's nightgown had blood on it and it was in her like closet, sort of chest bureau, something like in a college dorm. I don't think it was just like your normal closet, but it was probably something that stuck out a little more. But either way, her nightgown with blood on it was put away. And what was missing was what she wore that day and some of her tennis shoes, I think. So they made note to share like Ted Bundy dressed her back up. He cleaned the room. Wow. So he entered the apartment, what we're saying. Yep. Attacked her while she's in her nightgown. Yep. Got her changed back into the clothes she wore, maybe when he saw her before. Could be. And took her? Yeah. What the fuck? (laughs) In The Stranger Beside Me, Anne Rule talked about it and how the only clothes were missing were the... The only clothes that were missing were the ones she was wearing before. So I'm assuming when Ted saw her and a pink pillowcase that usually lay on her bed and her backpack were missing. But I mean, that could look like blood aside. Yeah. Could just look like she threw those clothes back on, grabbed her bag and had to go run an errand or right. go do something else real quick before she went to work or. That's it. And what what also is interesting to me here, I think, is the lack of blood. Like, to me, that says there was probably an injury, but mm-hmm. probably was not the life-ending injury there. I mean, you cut yourself while shaving. Right. You can bleed a lot. Yeah. That's, you know, it hurt. might hurt like a bitch and sting, <laughs> but it's, you know, but it's, you might get blood on a bathrobe from that or a right. nightgown from that or your sheet from that. Oh, my God. Who has, hasn't? But. Have you ever nicked your ankle and you leave like a trail and you're like, without even real- Yeah. Because you didn't even feel it. Yeah. So is that out of the ordinary, like out of the realm of possibilities to me? No. Right. And this is just like heartbreaking. And I want to go into some of these more in depth. Some of them, there really just aren't that much information easily accessible in terms of like the women themselves. And we'll talk more about that later. But this is one that I think is so hallmark Ted Bundy. It is Mm -hmm. like they are suddenly gone. There is so little evidence. And he was smart enough, and I hate that, but he was smart enough to not do it there. He was like, okay, there are roommates here. It's early in the morning or late at night. Like, he didn't have a big time frame here. She went to bed at midnight and the alarm went off at 5 a.m. Yep. So he got right to fucking business and then he left. Shortly after the disappearance, investigators interviewed more than 65 people, but were still left with almost no leads in Delinda's disappearance. Five weeks after that, on March 12th, 1974, 19-year-old Donna Manson was abducted from her school. Evergreen State College in Washington. Donna is currently listed as a remaining missing person because even though Ted admitted to her murder before his death, her remains have never been found. Oh, God. That day, Donna was preparing for a very fun night. Her friends called her a free spirit, and she was, like, living the college dream, though. You know what I mean? She was Mm -hmm. going here, going there, doing this, doing that. Cute boys, cute things, cute clothes, cute everything. Before leaving her apartment, Donna, like, had to look perfect. You know what I mean? Oh, Donna. Obviously, she already did. They're all beautiful. Literally, every single victim that Ted Bundy has is beautiful. And I know it shouldn't matter. And to us, it doesn't. 
But the way that he was able to choose these beautiful brunette women yep. that all looked eerily similar to they each other. They all had kind of long faces. Their hair was usually like barely blonde to very dark brown. Mm-hmm. So anywhere in that brunette range yep. and parted in the middle. I don't know how he did it. <laughs> Mostly college students, yep. mostly under 30. Young women who were bright and going places. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so, I mean, obviously it's so fucked up, but I think it's so interesting. There was, in one of the documentaries I was watching, I think it was the Amazon one. One of the women who investigated some of this was like, part of my anger here is that he literally did nothing good for this world and he took the lives of so many bright young women that absolutely would have. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how he knew. I don't know how he knew who was the brightest and the best of her class, but he al- almost always got him. Mm-hmm. So just like everybody else, Donna was beautiful with yep. brown hair, parted in the middle. Ugh. And she actually did change her clothes a few times that night um, just to like find the right fit, you know? Mm-hmm. Donna had a big night in store. She had planned to go to a folk dance class, which just sounds fucking bomb. That is the epitome of college in the 70s when I think of it. And then immediately after, a jazz concert. Oh, come on. Right? I would go to both of those things. I know. She left her room at 7 p.m. to go to her dance class, which was in a building 200 odd feet away. 200 feet away. That's a two minute walk. I'm not kidding. She never made it. Oh, my God. No. But the problem is Donna's free spirit and adventure loving personality meant that nobody was terribly shocked when she didn't come home that night. Because she would just be back the next day then. Right. She was known sometimes to like hitchhike on occasion or say yes to plans she didn't have before just, you know, for the plot or the sake of the story, you know. So it actually took six days for Donna to be reported missing. Mm. Following Donna's disappearance, search teams combed 990 acres of that campus using tracking dogs. Volunteers searched the grounds on four separate occasions, and each time up to 200 people were a part of it. Uh, Do they both go to the same school? No, she goes to Evergreen State College, and Linda went to the University of Washington. Okay. Are they nearby? Yes. Okay. I will say a lot of the women in Washington go did go to the University of Washington, mm-hmm. though. So that is more of like the OG hunting grounds, if you will. But enough that after a certain period of time, people are going to connect the dots. Right. I know we don't all have social media in the 70s, and so we're not looking at news spreading as quickly or those dots being connected as fast and broadcast right but well and there are a lot of issues going on at this time and we'll talk more about that later and sort of how it plays a part in the trials Mm -hmm. but this is at a time right where policing all of the information is not as easily shared there's no such thing as like NIBRS, which is the national incident based reporting system so there's Mm -hmm. no database to check what's happening But what's helpful here is that Ted doesn't travel all over the place all the time. Mm -hmm. He kind of goes in a line. It's like Washington to Utah to like Colorado. And so so he sort of goes across. You can track his path. Right. He's not circling back a lot. His time gets limited. Mm -hmm. People are noticing. They're saying, oh, my God, there are women missing. Okay, we have women missing. Yep. 
and they all look like this and they're all this age. So it's it's very interesting sort of tracking it. And I think, unfortunately, had he been a little more transient at the time, it would have taken a lot longer to find him. It also would have been a lot easier for him to choose transient women themselves. Yeah. Because by definition, they're not expected in any one place at a hard like at a hard like by 8 p.m she's always home it's i'm where i want to be i'm i'm hitching a ride from somewhere i'm gonna go out here i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do that i'm gonna get out of town for a few weeks and you'll see me when i'm back kind of thing these are women that this wasn't the case so yeah and i think that i think that's part of the npd so that narcissistic personality disorder because ted didn't want anyone he wanted the it girl. He wanted the smart one. He wanted the bright one. He wanted to have the best victims because obviously that's like a mirror of him, right? Well, and also wasn't Diane his first fling? Yeah. And she was the it girl and she rejected him. And so now he needs to make the it girl pay. Right. So, you know, I'm sorry that you have a loving family and bright future and prospects and an education and you're beautiful, but um, actually, fuck you. Someone who looked like you didn't want to date me. And so you have to die for this now. Yep. Sorry. What a piece of shit. Okay. Sorry. Keep going. So. So six days goes by. Then she's reported missing. Yep. And the campus, the 990 acre campus is searched four different times with 200 people at least. Every and nothing. Time. Nothing. Ugh. Absolutely nothing. Her poor family. Like many of Bundy's victims, Donna was just gone. No trace. So then, another five weeks later, on April 17th, 1974, he strikes again. Like, we'll see this. And as time goes on, and we see this a lot with serial killers in terms of like the criminal justice system, but the timeline gets shorter and shorter. Always does. It always does. And this is another big point in favor of this was not his first victim. Mm-mm. You don't have one victim and then have to strike again in five weeks. That's no time. Typically, we would not see that at all. Right. And he would have messed up a lot more than he did. Yeah. Now we're at the fourth within four months. And the first one survived. And now yep. he knows, okay, let's not leave a witness Uh, yeah let's not leave a survivor so from here on out they're pretty much all dead yeah except for one and we'll talk about her i know who you're talking about she's amazing so in april 17th 1974 just five weeks after the disappearance of donna manson ted struck again susan rancourt an 18 year old biology student who was according to her family bright inquisitive studious and a big lover of reading Oh, Susan was doing her laundry on campus and she's just like switching it over to the dryer. But she had a meeting to go to. You know what I mean? And by that, I mean, of course, you know what I mean? They're all bright and active women on their campuses. So she was actually going to a meeting to learn about becoming like an RA. Oh, so that's a resident assistant. It's like the students that help run campus life, make sure that Nobody's puking and drinking in your hall. Make sure that like all of the girls are having good roommate times and things like that. Think hall monitor for a dorm building. Yeah. So after that, Susan had plans to like go hang out with a friend and watch a movie. So the the meeting went from like eight to ten. 
at night, which is kind of late. What a late night. I know. I'd be like, I can't make it. I I'm need like, to go to bed. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I'm in my gym jams. <laughs> Me and my old age now. <laughs> so after that, she was supposed to go home and like hang out with this friend, watch a movie, but she never made it. She never made it to the meeting or she never made it home? She never made it home. She went to the meeting. Oh. And at 10 p.m., her friend didn't see her and her laundry had never been moved over. Oh. According to investigators, the most plausible scenario is that Ted spotted Susan shortly after she left the meeting. And judging by witness accounts, he was wearing a fake sling once again mm-hmm. and trolling around the campus. After Ted noticed Susan walking by herself, he wandered over in her direction. He was like, hey, little mama, let me whisper in your ear, you know. Um, (laughs) Not what he said. He said, hey, can you help me put these textbooks in my car? Yes, literally. Actually, once he was close enough, he pretended to drop all of his shit. Yep. And be all clumsy and like, oh, my God, I'm so embarrassed. I did this in front of like a hot lady. And then she'd help to pick it up. And she did. And she walked with him back to his car where she bent over to put the books in his Volkswagen bug, where he then hit her over the head with a crowbar. I was her. I was active mm-hmm. on my college campus, ran organizations, had those late night meetings, would have to walk back by myself. And if I saw somebody struggling, you bet your ass I'd go over there and help them. Yeah. Wow. And that feels very close to home. He then lifted her unconscious body, put it in his car, sped away. Oh, my God. Afterwards, Susan's friends immediately became worried because it wasn't like her. She was not someone who would just go out and, I don't know, talk to strangers, make plans that she didn't otherwise have, not show up to things she committed to. It just wasn't like her. She's not the friend that stood you up when you had a cute little movie date night in your gym jams. Right. And you're like, oh my gosh, how was the RA meeting? Do you think you want to apply? Because I want to and I don't want to be alone. Yeah. Yeah. So I will say. um, And she was 18. Oh my God. Baby. Baby. Oh, I just want to hug her. That week, Susan's parents, Vivian and Dale Rancourt, came to the college from Anchorage, Alaska, where they lived, by the way. Which, what an awful flight for them. I know. I know. By the way, shout out to Anchorage. It's beautiful. <laughs> I love it there. And I know that some of you are from there. So, hey. Hey. But when they arrived to the college where Susan was, they pretty immediately were like, hey, something's wrong. <laughs> There are reports of Dale yelling in the middle of like, I don't know if it was the dean's office or the administrative building, but basically yelling that his daughter was missing. Oh, my God. And both were convinced from the day after that that was the case. Ultimately, like the rest, the search for Susan was fruitless. And this included investigators searching volunteers searching even a private plane that susan's parents paid for to look up like overhead of the area because the day that susan went missing she was wearing a bright yellow rain jacket and they hoped they could find it they just were praying that somehow this bright yellow thing would stick out and like every other ted bundy victim there was no fucking trace oh my stomach hurts I do want to put a little asterisk on this case, though, because Susan Rancourt was a special victim to Ted. This was a victim that Ted refused to talk about. 
mm. for the most part, certainly publicly. Um, and also it reminds me of when he said that if he talked to a woman for more than 20 minutes, she was no good. I think that that walk to his car was longer than most of them. And he probably got to know more about her. And she was 18, so she was younger. So my assumption is that there's some deep, deep regret, regret, loathing, all of that. But it is just interesting. I know that her parents talk a little bit about it in one of the specials. I think it was the Amazon one, though it could have been the Netflix one. Mm -hmm. I watched too many. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But they were talking about that. And actually... If I remember correctly, after his execution, Ted's mom called them and apologized. And they apologized to her because they were like, we know what it's like to be a mom who just lost your kid. Oh. Right? Doesn't that hit (laughs) you? Oh. But don't worry, we're not done. Oh, he could have just let her go. Yeah. He could have just said, thanks for the help. See you never. Yeah, oh, thank you, bye. And she's like, wait, didn't you have a sling on? Yeah. And he's like, oh, it fell off. And then he gets in his car and he speeds off and she got to go and watch whatever movie she was going to go watch. And it could have ended there. And he could have been like, you know what? I think I need some help. And he could have gotten some mental health help. Wouldn't that be so nice? That's what it could have been. Could have been. But nope, we have how many more to talk about? 11? Uh, 14, something like that? 14 or 15. We have 17 to talk about today. Okay, we've done three. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So we're going to talk about Roberta Parks. Okay, because Roberta. four weeks later, on May 6th, 1974, Roberta Parks went missing from Oregon State University. Roberta was a 20-year-old college student studying religious studies. Okay. And Roberta had long brown hair parted in the middle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Beautiful as they all were. All were. Roberta wasn't often included in the missing woman reported at the time because of her location because she was 250 some odd miles from washington right she was in oregon so mostly they were looking for women around the seattle area because that's you know university of washington all of that Mm -hmm. but the timeline actually does put ted in oregon about this time so we're convinced now based off of like dna and testimony and confessions but at the time she just wasn't included because they were like we're not looking down there in Oregon we're looking here for Seattle right so she just wasn't included but she ended up being added because her remains were included with many many others of Ted Bundy's and also some of the timeline puts him where they need to be and also some evidence and testimony and things like that so she was added she just wasn't talked about a lot at the time Roberta was at a time in her life that I think all young 20-somethings go through. She was still bright. She was still brilliant. But she was kind of lost. You know, who am I? What do I want to do? Who do I want to be? And even though she was studying religious studies, she didn't really know what that looked like as a career path. Mm -hmm. She had been dating a guy named Christy who was working as a scuba diving instructor. Ooh, So that's kind of fun. But he was like ready to get married. And Roberta was like, "Mm, pump the brakes, buddy. I don't know. She's like, I'm still in school. Maybe not right now. Yeah. She's like, I'm 20. My dad doesn't like you that much. And I'm fighting with my parents. And I don't even know what I want to do. How do I know if I want to do it with you? Yeah. Yeah. So she was very smart. She was very grounded. She knew that she had to figure some stuff out. But I don't know a single 20-year-old who doesn't go through a time period like this. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Of course. 
That day, she received news from her sister in California that her father had suffered a heart attack. Oh. So she had called her and Roberta was like racked with guilt because the last phone call they had was a fight, you know, and it was just really tough. So that was the beginning of her day. And that's pretty tough. And later that day, she gets another call from her sister. But this one's much better. The doctors say that it's very probable that her dad's going to live. Okay. And she's like, okay, all right. Yeah, we got to, I can, I can make that up. I can go be there and not have the last interaction I had with my dad be a fight. So she kind of goes about her day. Mm. And what we do know is that she was emotionally exhausted because of course you're going to be. <laughs> oh, yeah. With news like that. Of course. And while most of the details around Roberto's disappearance are truly just vague and unknown, there are two things that we do know for sure. She was having an awful day. She was extremely emotional and stressed. Who wouldn't be? But also, she was last spotted walking between her dorm room at Sackett Hall and the common areas of the Memorial Union building. And while she was en route to the Memorial Union building, Roberta stopped to talk to her friend Lorraine. Mm. Actually, I think Lorraine was her roommate, but Lorraine and her just like chatted for a sec and I don't know if you guys have roommates, but have you ever had that like, hey, I'm doing this and I'll be back whenever? Mm-hmm. It was that. And Roberta yep. was like, hey, I've had a shit day. I'm going to go get a hot oh, fudge Sunday. I love that. Yeah, it was very sweet. And so this is the last time, though, that anybody ever saw her alive. Oh, my God. Wait, does that mean she didn't get a chance to talk to her dad? No, she didn't. Oh, my God. Because instead, when she went to the dining hall to get a hot fudge sundae, she ended up not coming back. Oh, I'm going to cry so hard. Lorraine was pretty, like everybody had to be back in their dorms by 2 a.m. It was like a Mm campus-wide curfew, basically. Right. But Lorraine believed that it was weird, but she didn't say anything until the next morning. Because you have to be back by 2 a.m., but like... What if you're having a sleepover at somebody else's house or something like that? You you have to be indoors by 2 a.m. Doesn't mean you have to be at your place at 2 a.m. Okay. And so while we don't have much on the front of Roberta's actual disappearance, what we do have is what Ted talks about later. Mm -hmm. And now I would take everything that comes out of Ted Bundy's mouth with a grain of salt. I would not assume that he is ever telling the truth, the whole truth, or even part of the truth. Mm -hmm. But... I do think that he had this moment where he was confessing later on in life where he wouldn't confess. He wouldn't say, I did this, but he would talk in third person. So he'd be like, if I were the killer, well, the killer might have done this and the killer might have done that. Oh, my God. Give me a break. So you did it. You can say the fucking words to that. It would mean that he saw Roberta sitting alone in the cafeteria, probably eating her hot fudge sundae. He then approached her and decided to sit down next to her. According to the killer that might have, um, she was lonely and depressed. Which, check and check, I would be too in that scenario. And he decided to just like strike up some casual conversation. And eventually he convinced Roberta to accompany him to Corvallis for some food and drinks. I'm assuming this is a restaurant. Maybe it was like, hey, you look, you know, hey, little lady, let's go out to dinner. You look sad. I don't know. You'd think just seeing how down she looked would have sped up that 
20 minutes ish that he needs to make someone look human in his eyes apparently not but apparently a girl grieving almost losing her dad having a really rough day kind of feeling relieved okay he's gonna be okay the last conversation we had isn't going to have been a fight we can rebuild you'd think that seeing all that would strike that like very itty bitty bit of human (laughs) in him well in that no i get it in that he has almost like a time limit it's almost like you have to set a timer and i'm sure i I don't take 20 minutes is like a hard 20 minutes right 19 minutes you're good 21 it's over yeah fuck you but right but the fact that he knew that if he learned enough or spoke with somebody and could pick up on like a mannerism or something funny or they shared a laugh that they were almost not worthy of killing at that point because they weren't just nothing. They weren't filling that void of rage or whatever it was. Right. That you'd think that in this situation, she would have been safe. You would have hoped. You really would have hoped. But again, if we take Bundy's confession, he got her in the car and then he lied and said he had to pick up some typing from a nearby office or I don't know, typewriter, I suppose. Okay. And then he drove out to a secluded area where he could attack her. Oh. And like pretty much every other Bundy victim. And we'll talk more in depth when he does his confession later, because right now we're going off of what they know. But we know that there's brutal violence and rape and murder and almost always a ridiculous amount of blunt force trauma. So was that this episode or next episode? That's going to be next episode. Okay. So right now we're following the timeline. We're establishing right what the law enforcement is putting together of who's missing and from where. And if I can, like I am filling in some places mm-hmm. where Ted talks, but that's <laughs> where Ted, Ted talks. talks. <laughs> I love that. But ultimately, like we are operating with here's this bright young woman. Where'd she go? And yep. we do that for years up to this up to ted's capture Ugh. so i i need to add a little bit because i would need the context i would need some amount of closure of what's happening mm-hmm. or just blatant understanding but yeah right now it's like oh beautiful young woman she's gone where'd she go she and was she, walking 200 feet where'd she go and she didn't just run away yep but these weren't girls that anybody was writing that off as right which is also wonderful but like some of them, because there's such a wide range, you know, like Donna, she could have been gone for a few days at a time and it wouldn't have been strange for her. So it didn't get reported for almost a week. Right. There's just a lot. But don't worry, we're not done. No. Because three weeks after the last attack. So now we're at June 1st, by the way. Oh, come on. Can we talk about the fact that it's just barely been six months and we're an hour in? I'm so stressed. So just three weeks after his last attack, Ted found his way into the life of Brenda Carroll Ball, a 22-year-old at the Flame Tavern in Washington. Hot little mama. Mm. Brenda, just two weeks earlier, had dropped out of college. Okay. She had been going to Highline College. Honestly, I think this might have been in Des Moines, Iowa or Des Moines, Iowa. Mm -hmm. But I believe her family was from Washington, so she probably moved back. Okay. I guess it's possible that there's a Des Moines, Washington, but it did not seem that way in my research. Correct me if I'm wrong. Okay. 
However, she was a local at the Flame Tavern. She knew all the bartenders. The bartenders knew her. She was a young thing. She was old enough to drink. She no longer had the responsibility of school. So she was there quite a bit. And also, like, I know for me, going home is never great once it's like, oh, I'm all the way caught up with my family and I love my family. But then it's just like, all right, so now we're in the middle of nowhere in the cold. So (laughs) what now? But she did disappear from Washington. Yes. So he is sort of toggling between. Yes. He does go up to Oregon. And I believe that he does go down to Oregon. And I believe there's actually no other Oregon murders until he fully like moves for school type of thing. But he does kind of go back and forth. And there's like a day trip or something down to California too. He's just kind of on the West Coast right Mm -hmm. now. But. She did go missing from Washington, from the Flame Tavern in Washington. Okay. And she seemed to be at a crossroads. She was a regular at this tavern, which did have a bit of a reputation for being like a little bit rough and tumble. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But Brenda, since she was known, was confirmed to be there until closing time, which was 2 a.m. on June 1st. As the night was coming to an end, Brenda asked a band member who she knew if he could give her a ride home. She was like, yo, I need a ride. And he was like, I'm so sorry. I actually can't because we're going in a different direction. Oh, if he had given her a ride. Yep. Because here's where it gets messy. Oh, We're already at conflicting reports of what happened. So there are two conflicting reports about how Brenda left the bar that night. Mm. One report states that she left by herself and was planning on thumbing a lift or hitchhiking. Another claims that she left with an unidentified man. And although we'll probably never find out exactly how she left the Flame Tavern, we do know that one thing is for sure. At some point in the early hours of June 1st, 1974, Brenda Carroll Ball fell into contact and eventually the hands of Ted Bundy, which unfortunately are not the right hands to be in. Ugh. When Brenda failed to return to her apartment in Normandy Park, there weren't any immediate concerns about her safety. I mean, it's 2 a.m. I don't know how many people are like waiting up. Yeah. But she was adventurous and sometimes she'd disappear for a day or two, but she'd always come back. According to Ted's ex-girlfriend, Liz, Mm -hmm. Ted was in a hurry on the evening of May 31st. She remembers this? She remembers this because... It was a Saturday night and her parents had come out from Utah. So Liz's parents were from there and they came out because her daughter was getting baptized. Oh, in the Mormon faith, I guess it's tradition that you get baptized when you're eight years old. So that was sort of this momentous occasion for Molly, her daughter. Oh, and she was going to have Molly baptized and her father was going to do the baptism. So it was like a whole family affair. I can see how that's memorable if he's trying to duck out and you're like, this is one of the most important moments. And, you know, it's a big family milestone. I want you to get to know them. My dad's doing the fucking baptism. Come on, guy. And she didn't say fucking. I did. But you know what I mean? (laughs) And she said afterwards they went out to dinner and Ted treated them all to pizza. But he was in a big hurry to go home after they were done with pizza the night before. So this is May 31st. They went out. For pizza. Mm-hmm. He wanted to treat everyone and be like, yay, Molly, baptism. Woo. Right. And he was in a huge hurry after that. So that's May 31st. Mm-hmm. But the next day he didn't show up. He completely missed the baptism. Oh. 
And he was probably like two hours late to the whole thing, which I don't know if you guys know this, but a baptism does not take two hours. <laughs> no, it's a quick dunk and you're done. Yeah, it's like a little <laughs> splash and you're like, amen. Yep. It's a little bit longer than that, but that's I've the no- gist. I know nothing about the Mormon faith, so <laughs> correct he, me if I'm wrong, but yeah. And like, I don't know, two hours late to that, you probably could have had 10 done by then. <laughs> well, in t- like in two hours late to something that you just talked about the whole timeline of the night before. Yeah. She was probably like, oh my God, did, did Ted get in a car accident? Is he okay? What's wrong? And then being worried probably turns right quick to anger when he does show up and you're like, where the fuck have you been? Yeah, actually, hold on. And she says she doesn't really remember what the excuse was, but she thought it was car trouble or something like that. But like for two hours, you couldn't find a fucking phone. Mm-hmm. And she was pissed because he was making her look bad in front of her parents. She was like, this is the guy that I chose to be in my life and my child's life. And he can't even come to her fucking baptism. She was so mad. Oh, but that's why, because he was leaving to go hunting, basically. Because he went to a tavern and picked up Brenda. Yeah. Mm. happy baptism so again now we're on june 11th this is not even two weeks later this is 10 days later 10 days Mm. teddy struck again 10 dude 10 days come on george ann hawkins an 18 year old student at the university of washington went missing on june 11th 1974 on june 10th 1974 the day before George Ann went to a party on campus with a sorority sister, hey, mm-hmm. where the two drank a few drinks and she partied and danced, but it wasn't intense and she didn't actually stay that long because she had a really big Spanish final, like I think the next day or that week. Responsible girl. Yeah. And so she was like, oh my gosh, mom, I do not know fucking Spanish. I got to go early. Mm-hmm. So she left the party early. And before leaving the party, though, she did tell her sorority sister that she was going to go back to the Beta Theta Pi house. Um, Beta Theta Pi. Beta Theta Pi. Beta Theta Pi is so fun to say and try to say it 10 times fast. Beta Theta Pi. Beta Theta Pi. Beta Theta Pi. Beta Theta Pi. That's kind of fun. Yeah, it is fun. So anyway, she was like, all right, I'm going to go. And then she wanted to like hop over to the next. I'm assuming it's like a Greek street where all of the sororities and like frats are on campus Mm -hmm. she like popped over to say goodnight to her boyfriend oh and this is cute also to pick up some revision notes from him she wanted like his revised copy of her essay or study notes or whatever Hmm. which is cute she's like love you gotta go study thanks for the help bye oh And while ordinarily she was a very cautious person, the area along the sorority houses had become super familiar to her. Like the alley behind the houses was brightly lit by streetlights and there were generally people around that she knew. And it's a sorority lane, basically. You know what I mean? It's a sorority street. So there's always fucking people there. Mm -hmm. On the warm night of June 10th, most students were still awake cramming, cramming for their finals and it was well past midnight. The fraternity house of, of Georgian's boyfriend was six houses down the street from her sorority house. So a distance of 90 feet. 90, 90 feet. Come on. Can you imagine being like, no, babe, really, it's fine. I'm just going to go home. It's six houses down. Come on. So Georgian arrived at the Beta Theta Pi house at approximately 1230 a.m. on June 11th. So Beta Theta Pi is the fraternity house, not the sorority house. 
So she went over to Beta Theta Pi to say goodnight to her boyfriend, which is super cute. And then she was going to go home. And she got there about like 1230 and hung out with him for like maybe a half hour, said goodnight, said hi to all the boys. You know what I mean? And got Mm -hmm. her notes. And after she got her Spanish notes, she left and she went back to her sorority house, which was the Kappa Alpha Theta house. Okay. One of the betas, so one of the boys before she left, his name was Dwayne. He heard the door slam and he stuck his head out his window and was like, hey, George, what's going on? And she was like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to go home. I'm going to go study for my test. And as she left, he was like, OK, adios. Like, have a good Spanish test. Aww. Right. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You would do that. I would. <laughs> I would have said something like adios, bachachos. Yep. One of my faves. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, afterwards, George Ann was never seen again. Georgianne was nearsighted and typically wore glasses or contacts to like you know see in but general but she was a beautiful brunette with hair parted in the middle oh yeah mm-hmm. no, that is that's yep. true and her mates told the police that she didn't have either on because she had worn contacts all day and for some people not me I can't see ever but for some people after that their vision gets a little blurry even if you put on glasses Mm. So she wasn't wearing either and her roommate had to be like, yeah, so she can't see anything mm-hmm. at all. And because of Georgian's nearsightedness, the police theorized that if the perpetrator of her abduction or Ted had been lurking in the shadows of the alleyway that was out back and overheard Georgian going home, he might have been able to sort of sneak out and grab her. No witnesses. She wouldn't have been able to see him. And it would have been over in a minute. Oh, my God. Of course, no witnesses reported seeing or hearing any signs of a struggle at the time of her disappearance. Well, and it's because all the sorority houses are all next to each other. There's probably lights on. There's probably music playing. There's yeah. probably things going on. So if anyone, if if anybody came up behind her and like touched her or talked to her or something she's probably gonna assume first it's somebody that she knows right and after that who's even gonna know what happened because there's every every house has its own world going on inside yep and when's the last time you were at a party and you knew every single time that someone showed up or left or interacted with another person you I, just can't i don't even know what time i show up and what time i leave <laughs> yeah literally i can tell you how many times I had to pee that night because mm-hmm. I'm like, isn't that stupid? And how many times I went over to pet the cat. Right, exactly. I can tell you all about that and all the chin scritches. I'd never be able to tell you what time I did it. No, not no. even a little bit. So, no witnesses. Mm. Police also theorized that Georgian might have been hit over the head with a blunt object, i.e. like a crowbar like the rest of the victims primarily, mm. and rendered unconscious and or rendered unconscious with chloroform or possibly even captured with just such brute force that she couldn't scream for help. All of those are terrifying. Chloroform scares the shit out of me because there's know. nothing you can do about that. Nope. It's just there and then it's nothing. Mm-hmm. It's, you're there and then it's lights out. That's it. She was just over five feet tall. Oh. She had barely the ability to see the six houses in front of her to her own. I am Georgian. And ultimately, it probably wouldn't have been difficult for someone to even just fucking pick her up and run off with her, you know? My heart hurts. 
Despite a very early reaction from her roommates and reporting and intense publicity and extensive search, the case went cold. Yeah, what do you do when there's nothing? Yeah, it was considered likely that she had met the same fate as the other five girls who had been missing in the last six months, but nobody had anything to confirm. So remember, that's June 11th. So this is the summer. Mm -hmm. If we overlap this with Teddy Boy's life, Mm -hmm. this is about the time that he is realizing that, oh, shit, he didn't get into any of the Ivy Leagues for law school. And now he has to go to stupid University of Utah and their stupid law program that accepted him that wasn't the stupid Ivy League that he deserved because he's just a stupid little boy who doesn't know how to do law. And he hates that because he's the best. Why can't he just be the best? He's such a scrope bag. <laughs> what did you call him? A scrope bag. I love that. Ugh. Yeah. He just sounds so whiny. He is. He's like a petty, whiny little ass. He's like another one. You just want to like, you want to beat the shit out of him, but you also just want to flick his nose. Yeah. Like after. Yeah. Like, oh, and also. Also. What you the know? fuck? Yeah. Just one of those. I don't know. No, I get it. He's. Super annoying. Super. I I would hate to be his partner. I'd hate to have to like listen to him shit about his day every day when he comes home. He'd be like, ugh. And then this hot chick didn't even notice me. And I'd be like, go fuck yourself. Like, what are you saying? She right didn't now? drop to her knees and kiss the ground I walk on and ask me if she can get me anything in the world that I want. And so she's dead to me now. Yeah. She also didn't tell me that I was a genius and that she believed in my ability to be the world's best lawyer. So. Does she, like, even really deserve to live? So if he's in Utah going to school. Yeah. Did Liz and Molly stay? Yes. In Washington? They did. Okay. They did long distance for some time, but he's not there yet. Okay. This is about the time that he's realizing that's the option. Okay. And he's feeling out of control. And what does Ted not like? Not being in control. Absolutely. So he's starting to get mm, nuts, if you will. He's... Um, he's (laughs) bullshit now the rage isn't just at the women but it's also at pick your pick your poison any circumstance he can't control right which might explain why he goes so bold on july 14th 1974 july 14th beach day ayo got one beautiful we are at a lake actually we are specifically at lake sammamish park it's a sunday It's like a warm, breezy day. Everybody wants to hang out there. There's boys throwing frisbees. There's girls reading books. There's girls tanning. There's kids running around with little like sand pails. Pails. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Everything you can think of. Yeah. It's a beautiful day. And then Ted has to fucking ruin it. Fucking Ted. So call it control issues, fear of the future, just the crushing reality of his inability to live up to his own personal standards, whatever the fuck you want to call mm-hmm. it. Maybe even just psychopathy. But Ted needed another victim stat. Actually, he needed another victim like yesterday. You know what I mean? So we're making up for lost time. He's asking anyone. He's not hiding in any any trees. He's not hiding in any shadows. He's not plucking off girls as they walk individually to a different building on their campus at night this is broad daylight yep everyone's out and about having fun and he shows up in a sling and depending on the source depending on the witness he either had a british or a canadian accent 
Okay. Which is very funny to me. Like, imagine being like, hello, mate. I was out in a boot the other day. Like, <laughs> <laughs> pretty fucked up, isn't it? <laughs> it's all poopy, isn't it? But, but if you want to blend in, you don't do an accent. No, you don't. Why would you do an accent? Why would you tilt your hand like that and be and like, you, "Oh, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna make something memorable about myself." You sure should don't do two different accents. Commit to the bit, Ted. Like, practice, Ted. God, come. Maybe on. you're right. Maybe you are a piece of shit. Maybe you can't do anything. <laughs> Actually, <just> kidding. <laughs> he is a piece of shit. And he can't do anything right. Yeah, but but <laughs> literally. So it's exactly what you'd expect when he. Pulls up to like the beach full of these beautiful young women. It's exactly the demographic that he wants, right? Like all of the hot college girls are tanning or reading or hanging Mm -hmm. out with their friends. He like rolls up in his little Volkswagen bug and throws a sling on and he does his best acting. Um, And he goes up to a woman and he's like, hey, I have the sling. Could you actually please help me? I have to rig this sailboat to my car and I can't do it alone. And she was like, actually, sure. Like, whatever. And as she's, like, approaching his car, she sees no sailboat. Mm-hmm. And she's like, how the fuck am I supposed to get a sailboat on your car if there's no fucking sailboat? Mm-hmm. Crazy man. And he was like, oh, my gosh. Don't even worry about it. It's literally just up the road at my parents' house. I just have to grab it. No, you should have brought that over, bud. Yep. Bye. And at this point, she bolted. Good for her. Good for her. She saved her own damn life. She doesn't even know it. No. Well, I'm sure she does I mean, now, now, but, right, but she had no idea. She was just like, you know what? No, that's fine. I, I have to go be with my friends. I'm sorry. Trust your gut. So then Teddy Boy's like back to the drawing board. He's like, well, shit. Just like college, my first choice didn't work out. <laughs> sorry. Seriously, though. Um, so he goes back. And what does he see? But Janice Ott. Janice Ott is a beautiful 23-year-old. She had like this light brown, almost borderline blonde hair. That was long. It was like shiny and perfect and like mm. fair faucet. You just want to like commercial film it and tell everybody that it was some random hairspray, mm-hmm. you know. But Janice was from Issaquah and she was actually a juvenile court worker. Oh. Cute. She was married to a man named Jim Ott and he was going to school in California at the time. Oh, she's married. She is. She's a married woman. And she's 23, you said? Yeah. And she's working in the criminal justice system. Yep. Check, check, and check. I love her. I know. She's great. She uh, was like, okay, I'm not just going to sit away and waste a perfectly good Sunday. So she left a little note for her roommate. And she's like, bye, babes. Go into the beach. She had a roommate because she was living up in Washington while her husband was going to college down in California. Okay. So it was basically just like, okay, see you later. And she hopped on the cutest little yellow bike known to man and biked down to the beach and set out her little towel and threw on some cocoa butter and went to like tan and like enjoy the sun Mm. and not 20 fucking minutes into her tanning does this piece of shit block the sun and is like help i need help you go to the woman alone Mm -hmm. and ask for help why don't you ask any one of those group of guys over there to help you any of that huh why does it have to be a young beautiful attractive woman Hmm? and he was like please i just i have to unload a catamaran boat from my car then good luck with it and i'd be saying brother your arm's fucking broken how are you rowing this boat seriously come up with a better excuse than that anyway so judging by some of the witness accounts from the day this is the kind of insistent conversations that ted would have with people 
Um, obviously, part of the conversation is missing. We only have snippets, but this is what we know from multiple people. Janice, sit down. We can talk about it. Ted says, oh, it's up at my parents' house in Issaquah. Janice goes, oh, really? I live in Issaquah. Well, okay. I don't know how to sail, though. And Ted goes, oh, it'll be easy for me to teach you. And Janice says, is there room for my bike in the car? And Ted said, yeah, of course. It'll fit in the trunk. So at this point in time, Janice started to put her clothes back on. Janice says, okay, I'll go with you, but with one condition. I get to ride in the sailboat. Oh. And he was like, of course, my car's just over there in the parking lot. And she said, all right, I guess I'll meet you. <laughs> she said, okay, I guess I'll meet your parents then. <laughs> oh, what a cutie. And as they were walking away together, Ted asked Janice if she knew anyone else in Issaquah. And that was the last time anybody ever saw Janice Ott alive. And my stomach hurts. Later that day, Ted came back. I know, because he's a piece of shit. And like, do you not think that people go to the beach for the full fucking day? Like, they're not going to see all of these attempts. Like, that guy has tried to leave with two women now. One of them didn't come back. The other one came back, like, walking very quickly Uh back to her friends. And his accent has changed every fucking time. If you're going to commit, just commit, dude. Come on. to the bed, dude. So he comes back, right? And at this point, it's later in the afternoon. Denise Nasland, a 19-year-old software student, was at the beach on a double date with her boyfriend and a couple that they were friends with. They were like, going to have a good beach day, right? They came. They packed all their food. They probably packed some things to do, a book or cards or volleyball, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. And around 4 p.m., things were starting to wind down. The two boys that had gone with them were asleep because they had stuffed as many hot dogs and chips as they possibly could in their bodies. Men. And (laughs) I will say, Denise, when they got to the beach, like, took a couple Valium. I don't know if they were prescribed or she was just hanging loose and having fun in the 70s. Mm. But around 4 p.m., she was like, oh, my God, I'm high. And, like, talked to her friend about it. (laughs) And they had a short conversation. They were like, oh, it's a beautiful day. And eventually... Denise was like, okay, I got to pee. I'll be right back. So she gets up and she goes to the bathrooms. And Denise never returned from the bathrooms. Okay. Can I be gross for a sec? Yeah. If, if she had just gone in the water and gone pee, yeah. she'd be alive. And that's she did peeing the, in the pool, damn it. <laughs> but she did the right thing. Yeah. She said no. No. She did what not everybody's brave enough to do. And she said, I will go step foot in that disgusting <laughs> ass communal bathroom. And damn it, I will take off and put on a wet bathing suit to do it. Because I'm a kind person. I hope she peed on him. I hope, I just hope so many bad things for him. Oh, I know. Does it help that he's dead? No. Yeah, because it was kind of an uneventful death. Yeah, he just got fried. Yeah. So what? I'd say you let every single one of the victim's families go in. Yeah. They get 30 minutes to do what you want. <laughs> no one can kill him because you got to leave some. Because you got to leave some for the rest. Right. But. Do your worst. Yeah. Do what you want. Because he took the most important person away from you in your entire life in a brutal, violent attack for no fucking reason. So, no, yes. It's fucking depraved. So, yes, yes, I do think you can do that. But anyway, Denise went to the bathroom. Okay, she didn't come back. No. And as the day went on, Denise's friends waited around for her and they didn't see her. 
And her boyfriend is there? Yeah. Okay. Her boyfriend, Ken, reported her missing. Ken. Ken. Sorry. Hi, Ken. <laughs> Ken reported her missing after like a few hours went by and she didn't come back. And now keep in mind, it's like a Sunday. It's probably six or seven. The sun is probably starting to go down and the crowd is starting to thin. People are going home for dinner. They're going to go get ready for the week. Yeah. And Denise is nowhere to be found. And her car sticks out like a sore thumb in the parking lot with every other car that leaves. And Ken goes, he reports it to one of the park rangers. But the only positive to come out of this heinous string of murders, which, by the way, we still know nothing about Denise, um, is that with this, we finally had a fucking description. This is the first time Ted's been seen. Because he went in the daylight. Because he used to pick them off one by one alone in the dark of night when he was sure that nobody else was going to be around. And today he was like, fuck it. Let me try as many times as I can in the same place. He's spiraling. He is. And we're only at 1974. (laughs) What an asshole. With this, the police were able to take a description of the man as having sandy blonde hair, 5'10", and probably 160 pounds, which, by the way, Weight is never accurate. No. Because 160 pounds can look very different if it's 160 pounds of fat versus muscle. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, um, they had a, they said that he had a brown VW bug and they commissioned a sketch of the suspect. They said sandy brown hair? Yeah. Okay. I always pictured him like a really dark brunette. I think he is a darker brunette. But in the sunlight, maybe it looks yeah. different. Maybe, or maybe he's someone who, like me as a kid in the summer, my hair always got like three shades lighter. Mm-hmm. Who knows? But that is, that's the first time we have a description. It's the first time we have a lead. He has a bug and his name is Ted. He didn't even lie to people about what his fucking name was. He was like, hey, I'm Ted. And this is after eight people have been killed. Now we finally have. Uh-huh. It took eight women to die. It took eight women and six months. Wow. So he kind of calms down a little. Maybe two did it for him. Who knows? He's all tuckered out. Yeah. You know, I had to go round three. What a scroat. He calms down a bit and we're going to pop into September of 1974. He said, you know what? August. Much like Taylor Swift, August slipped away like a bottle of wine for Ted that year. Okay. (laughs) It just, it was not long enough for him. Oh, God. Or maybe he was moving to Utah. That'll do it. Where he's too busy. Mm. Trying to look perfect for his not Ivy League school. So we're in September. We're in Utah now. We're in September. We're actually still in Washington really okay. quick. Because a hunter discovered the remains of some bodies on a mountain just outside of Issaquah, Washington. These bodies were confirmed to be the remains of Janice Ott, Denise Nasland, and Georgian Hawkins. Oh. These remains were found a mile east of an old railroad trestle just outside of Issaquah, Washington. One of the detectives said that it was a quote-unquote multi-use environment for Bundy, which meant probably it was where they were assaulted. It was where they were raped and where they were killed and dismembered. And probably where he committed necrophilia later. Certainly. He would always return. Okay. We find out. So I think that 
they found one of the dumping spots. They found three bodies. But it's very interesting because later we sort of look into the forensics. And I won't get super deep into it. Honestly, we just don't have the time unless you guys wanted 80 hours of this. But most of the victims are believed to have been decapitated because of the way that the remains have been found separated mm-hmm. over time. Um, it just doesn't make scientific logical sense for that to be the case for multiple unless that's what happened. Right. And now, unfortunately, we start getting less and less information. I don't know if he's just learning. I don't know if it's new places and people aren't as aware. But we just get less. So we're going to get through a couple pretty quick here. And then we're going to talk about Carol. Okay. All right. So on October 18th of 1974, Melissa Smith left a pizza parlor where she had been visiting with friends. She never made it home. Nobody knows what happened. They just know that she left the pizza parlor. I'm guessing this is nighttime. Is he back to his old ways? I'm assuming. Um, Her body was found on October 27th, 1974 in Summit Park. Okay. Not even 10 days later. Nope. She had been raped and strangled. Okay. And again, this is Utah. So this is Midvale, Utah, where she was found. And Melissa's the daughter of the police chief at the time. Wow. So she knew. She knew to be safe. She knew to look out. Oh. Then we get to Laura Ann Amy, or AIM, depending on who's saying it in the pronunciation. So we're skipping two weeks ahead to Halloween of 1974, because that was October 18th, right? Oh, come on. Laura Ann, a 17-year-old from Lehigh, Utah, was at a Halloween party with her friends. She was having a good time, ayo, but she left alone. Which, of course, means what? She was never seen again. So, Bundy had kidnapped, raped, and murdered Laura, and her remains were found that Thanksgiving, almost a month later on November 26th, when two hikers discovered Laura's body naked, dead, on the side of an embankment in a canyon in utah she was a kid child 17 yeah i mean they're all they're all kids i mean they're all so young but 17 he doesn't usually dip under the 18 year old mark yeah well i mean i know he does but yeah 17 wow and then you know what he was just like shit I waited two weeks between the last ones. Maybe I'm just like starting to lose it because I need another one now. So a week later, on November 8th, he goes out again. Come on. This time he's in Salt Lake City, Utah. And 18-year-old Carol Durant was shopping at a mall. She was just like hanging out. I imagine she was Christmas shopping, but hell, a girl needs a new lipstick or a book from time to time, too, you know? Mm -hmm. So who knows? She was having a good time. Carol had been shopping when a man claiming to be a police detective told her that there was an attempted theft of her car and she needed to file a police report. Okay. He said, I've been looking for you. Someone tried to steal your car. We need you to come down and report it. Was she like, okay, and what car was that again? No. Okay. Um, Because despite any inclination that she might not want to go with him she was like okay he's a police officer like i want to do my best to like help how i can and maybe he's looking out for me right like if it's my car like i want to make sure so 
he got her to come with him and he accompanied her to his Volkswagen where she got in the car. This is just like Jerry Brudos where it's like, yeah, you're suspect, you know, I mean, with Jerry Brudos, it was you're a suspect in this and I need to talk to you. And she's yeah. like, I didn't do it. I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. But you're a man of authority. You're older than me and I will listen to you okay. and I will accompany you to your civilian car. Yep. That is not at all marked as a cruiser nope not an undercover cruiser either but i'm gonna get into it right oh so she gets in and once inside he placed a handcuff on her and now i think that they had driven a little bit before he did this because it sounded like from some of the interviews she gave there was a minute or two where she was like no just go like come on you'll be there in like a few minutes Mm -hmm. but they had been driving for some time because as we'll find out, one of his other dumping grounds is in Seattle and he'll drive people there. From Utah? Uh-huh. That's quite the ride. Uh-huh. They didn't get that far. But he tried to put a handcuff on her mm. at some point in this drive. And she started struggling. She was a fucking queen. Carol's like fighting back, right? And he's like, I just got to get the other fucking handcuff on her. Mm-hmm. And her hands are probably everywhere. And his hands are probably everywhere. And finally, he snaps it on. But it's the same arm. He handcuffs yes. her to herself. Amazing. So she starts fighting him, right? And he then tries to hit her with a crowbar. But she jumped out of the car. Like the moving, I don't know if it was moving. But she jumps out of the car to safety. Where then on the side of the road, he starts fighting with her. Oh, my God. He starts wrestling with her. And finally. He didn't just cut his losses and let her go. He's like. Oh, no. He needs a victim stat. Oh, my God. You got to get his little. You got to get off. You know, he's just so tense from law school. Oh, my God. And so. Oh, those minutes for her must have felt like hours. I know. I know. And so they're wrestling on the side of the, oh God. They're wrestling on the side of the road. And she told everybody later, she was like, he was creepy. Like, I didn't really want to go with him, but I thought he was a lot older than he was. So she thought there was more of like an authority than Mm -hmm. he had. It always matters. She also said that he smelled like alcohol. Okay. Fun fact. Um, But Bundy would later say that he usually drank heavily before like going out and killing you know, maybe to get rid of some of that conscience. But what do I know? You know, if if there's anything that you need to drink before you do, take a pause, take a breath, take a beat. Yeah. Why is it that you need to do that? Why? And why do you need to drink beforehand? That's it. That's all. That's, that's it. all. Just reflect. That's Just it. That's introspect. all. But um, fun fact, when they were out on the side of the road wrestling, mm-hmm. it was in front of an elementary school. So this had to have been at night because school wasn't in session. Damn it. I was going to say, let the recess monitor like jump the (laughs) fence, blow the whistle in his face, rip him off. And then finally, two people came driving down the road. That had to have saved her life. So she hops out of the car, right? He's still trying to like bludgeon her and fight her and like come at her with this crowbar. But this couple... Wilbur and Mary Walsh came up from the opposite direction. Wilbur. And she literally was able to like wrangle herself free. And like, I imagine sort of this horror film, like last girl gets out of the woods screaming. There's blood running down her face. And she's like, help. Right. 
Wow. And they let her in the car and drove her to the hospital. If that happened today, people would lock their doors. Yeah. But not then. No, because, you know. That was like the here. one benefit of <laughs> people hitchhiking back then. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. That saved her life. If they had chosen to stop at a gas station on the way yeah. or had to run an errand or took a different road home, she could have been dead. She would have been dead, probably. Oh. So she's in the hospital recovering and Ted is ready to strike. Of course he is. And much like July, he's ready to strike right the fuck now. So that's what he does. He goes back out. He's the like, same right, day? Yeah, she went, She got away, but I need someone. Come on. Oh, any port in a storm, huh? Anything. So Ted Bundy did murder a schoolgirl. Her oh. name was Deborah Kent, the police have confirmed. And... Deborah was reported missing in November after she left her parents' house the same night, so November 8th of 1974. She was going to go pick up her brother from like an ice skating rink. And so she got the keys from her parents and she was like, all right, I'll go get him. Don't worry. So she's probably 16, 17 years old. Yeah, 17. Okay. So at 1015, she left her house. And that same day... Deborah's father, again, gave her the keys to pick up her brother, and she was like, all right, I'm going to go pick him up for the skating rink. But she never got to her parents' car. She didn't even get into the car. It was in the, the driveway? Yes. Come on. Despite searches, she has never been found. Oh. We only know that she was a victim because Bundy confessed. Oh, my God. So then... <laughs> That's like each time it's like 200 feet, 90 feet. This is like 10 feet. Yep. And even let's let's pretend it's an apartment building and it's a parking lot. Right. That's still probably not even 90 feet. Yep. Probably 50. Oh. Two minute walk. It hurts. It hurts my heart. Hurts my stomach. Hurts my brain. So then I'm assuming, right, this is November. My thought is that after this, Bundy had um, finals. So he got busy because he had to be the best at that, right? Remember? I hope he fucking flunked. Yeah, me too. So then later, January, he was able to get through the holidays. He got through his finals. He probably went home to Liz and Molly and they were like playing family because that's what he did. He played everything. And when he got back out, it was January of 1975. So Ted abducted a 23-year-old, Karen Eileen Campbell, from the Wildwood Inn in Colorado. He's, I think he's probably just visiting or vacationing, right? Because he's in Colorado. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. He didn't go to school out there. He didn't have a job out there. So, And this is January, so the semester's resumed. He's back in Utah, so Colorado's not as far a drive as it would be if he was in Washington. Right. Okay. So he goes out to this Wildwood Inn. And he abducts Karen Campbell. She's a 23-year-old. We don't know how he abducted her. We can assume what he did with her. So 36 days later, her body was discovered just three miles from the inn. Three miles. Three miles. Oh. And it took over a month. But don't worry, because in the meantime... <laughs> Fucking Dad hell. Was, wasn't a, he wasn't taking a break. So March 1st, 1975 was a great day for us, though. Okay. Because Ted Bundy is in Salt Lake City, Utah. He's going to school. He's doing his thing, mm -hmm. right? 
But back in Washington, the remains of Linda Ann Healy, Susan Rancourt, Roberta Parks, and Brenda Ball were all found on Taylor Mountain in Washington. Good. Their skeletal remains showed that they suffered severe blunt force trauma. And here I found the report drafted from the forestry workers who actually discovered their bodies. So this is directly from that report. As part of our classwork for forestry number 93 at the college, Alex Camola and I were doing the forestry inventory project on Thursday, 2-2775, and yesterday, 3-175. This project was in 80 acres of the warehouse or land. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. Bear with me. Um, about 2 p.m. yesterday, we were running a line and prism points to determine the basal area. Alex and I had both walked through this area, but as we were walking through a second time, Alex said, hey, look at this, and pointed out a human skull laying on the ground. We did not pick it up or touch it. We left it right where it was, and then we finished our field work. We called King County Police last night when we got home sometime around 5 p.m. Today, at today, March 2nd, 1975, we directed the police back to the skull and assisted with compass coordinates and measurements from where we found the skull back to the fourth corner of south section line. Alex and I measured the distance back to this point, taking several compass headings. The rough coordinate from the skull marker would be, and then they give it, and it doesn't matter for us, Mm -hmm. but um, we gave the exact measurements to the officer. We have an aerial photo of this area, and we'll try to pinpoint the exact location of the skull on the photograph. This two-page statement is true to the best of my knowledge. So this is a college kid. This is a college worker. So they work like the forested area, the protected area of Washington around this spot. I think this was part of my profiling class and it was like students working in this found yep. and I was just like, oh my God, we're students. What if that happened? Like, yeah, <laughs> it was, just, I remember being like, oh, oh my, my God, yeah. <laughs> it was just and awful. Like, it's totally normal, right? I would think if I was a college kid and I was doing like, I don't know, a work study job or maybe an internship for what I wanted to do and you find a human skull and you're like, hey, look at this. That's weird, huh? You might also think like, did they put this here because they, you know, right. it's fake, it's plastic. Did they put this here because there's something I should be looking around in this uh, this right. area for? Or is this a prank or is this anything because... Or just like, how long did this have to be here? Because a lot of people don't realize it could be less than a year. It could be a year mm-hmm. in the wilderness. And it's not going to be a body. It's going to be the, the bones. You know I what know, I mean? I think people think your body stays for a lot longer than it does. Yeah. And out in the elements... Hell no, we're yummy food to other people. And by people, I mean creatures. Like deer and little mice. I don't think deer or mice eat people. I don't know what they eat, but I'm okay if I'm a snack for a bear. Okay? Okay. A bear will do it. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Or a mouse. (laughs) I don't think so. Who knows? Maybe termites will get to my head because my skull's so thick. But I just... It's wild. It's wild. I can't imagine just be like, okay, I'm going to throw up some coordinates and like maybe a telephone wire or something at this point. Oh, would you look at that? I would also think every other thing would go through my mind before that's real. I'd be like, which one of my friends did this? Did my professor do this? Did my boss do this? Is that a mannequin? It's never a mannequin. mannequin. And you should (laughs) never light up a room and you should never say yes when someone asks if you want to play a game nope um those are the absolutes in true crime but hey bestie but those are (laughs) those are the things that would go through my mind before i'd be like 
Is that what I think it is? Is that like a real human skull? Did right something now? horrific happen here? Yeah. You know? And what we find out is on Taylor Mountain, absolutely awful things happened there. Oh. So we're going to put a little pin there. Okay. And we're going to hop back to Colorado. Okay. And now we're in March of 1975. So March 15th, 1975, 26-year-old Julie Cunningham was last seen alive in Vail, Colorado. She disappeared early in the evening after she left her apartment in the Apollo Park neighborhood to visit a local bar. She was last seen wearing a cute little brown suede jacket and blue jeans and a ski cap because she's so cute. I'd wear that. Right. Okay. And she was never heard from again. Again. We don't know what happened. And the only thing that we know that happened was Ted confessed to her murder. Mm. Ted said that he had lured her into his vehicle by posing as an injured skier on crutches and asked her to help him carry his boots. I'd carry someone's boots. Yeah. He then says he knocked her unconscious, drove her to a remote area about 80 miles west. He really knocked her out then. And he drove. Like, he really drove these people places. You know, like, it wasn't like 20 minutes down the road, zip, zap, zap, done. He knew where he would be taking them before he found them. Yes. So he drove 80 miles west of Vail, where he then raped her. He states that he then strangled her and disposed of her body in a shallow grave near Rife. Rifle, Colorado, in a high desert area. Her body's never been found. Mm. Ollie was just hanging out with us, you guys. He's been listening this whole time. And now he's eating out of his little puzzle maze because he eats way too fast, don't you, buddy? He said, give me all the food. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Anyway. I hear you, dude. Anyway. So on April 6th, 1975, just three weeks later... Denise Oliverson set out on bike from her home on Lavetta Street, which is just like a great, great name. That but sounds anyway. beautiful. She was going to her parents' house. The next day, a search party found her bike and shoes under the Fifth Street Bridge near railroad tracks. Mm. Her, she was last seen wearing a green long-sleeved blouse and dark Levi's, which like maybe Ted had a thing for Levi's. But anyway. But she was a beautiful brunette with hair parted in the middle. Yep, mm. as they all are. And later, before Ted's executed, he confesses to her, too. He said he disposed of her body in a river about five miles west of Grand Junction, Colorado. And a timeline created by the FBI puts Ted in Grand Junction through April of 1975. So right on track. Mm. Although I will say... He does say that he put her in a river about five miles west of there, but later he also says that he left her body in the Colorado River. I don't think that's the same river, but regardless, her body has never been recovered. Mm. So then we're going to keep moving on because that's what fucking Ted Bundy does. So here we are in May of 1975. We're in Pocatello, Utah, and Lynette Culver, a 12-year-old girl. 12. 12 was said to have left Alameda Junior High on her lunch break. She was last seen boarding a bus at Hawthorne Junior High School on the afternoon of May 5th, 1975. Another report, you know, 
different reports, different places say that she was last seen walking down Eldridge Road in Pocatello on May 6th, but there's no evidence of that. And she was never seen again. Bundy confessed to the abduction and murder of Lynette one week before he was executed. He knew details about Culver he could have only known if he talked to her, and she would have disappeared three weeks before Bundy was caught. Wow. Three weeks. And he really struggles with the young ones. Like, he does not talk about... No. That's why there's so little on her. It was like she was seen at her junior high. And then he says that he disposed of her body in Snake River, which is like 15 or 20 miles away. Wow. That's all we know. Her body's never been recovered. Mm. Pocatello, Utah, by the way, is where our scream murder case happened, if you want to go check that out. But this is terrible. It's just terrible. That place has been through a lot. Yep. The people there are strong people. Wow. So... Ted actually takes a a break. Maybe it actually hurt him that he hurt a 12-year-old. Who knows? I don't really care because he murdered a 12-year-old and probably did other horrendous things Mm -hmm. to a 12-year-old. And even though he waits until just about the end of June in 1975, his victim choice didn't get much older because come June 27th of 1975, Ted Bundy kidnapped and killed Susan Curtis, a 15-year-old, when she was attending the Bountiful Orchard Youth Conference at Brigham Young University. Oh, come on. Bundy claimed... Brigham Young. I know, right? Oh. He did. Ted says that he buried her body near a highway, but again, you know, her body's never been found, because why would we ever get that closure for families? Only a fraction of them have actually been recovered. Yeah. Oh, my God. And this is why, like... There are so many confirmed because we have their body, but most of them are confirmed because he's confessed. And this is also why we believe there are so many more, because if we just know this from his confession. Right. We should have known more about these. We knew these women were missing. What about the ones people didn't report? Yeah. Or the ones people reported that were never connected. We just don't know. And there was probably something in him that got a satisfaction of knowing something that other people didn't know. Oh, yeah. And probably held out on some because he wanted to hold that power over them until the very end. Hello, delusions of grandeur and control issues. I know something you don't know. Dick. So. So Susan Curtis, the 15 year old, is from Bountiful, Utah. So she was. Attending the youth conference at Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah, when she disappeared on June 27, 1975, she'd ridden her bike 50 miles to attend this conference. Oh, she wanted to go so bad. It was two days. And she was like, I can do it. I'll, I'll bike there. I'll stay there. I'll bike home. Oh, my heart. Susan was last seen at the end of the first day of the conference. So she had a great first day and got out. And that evening, following a formal banquet at the student center, which is just so cute, she left her friends to walk back to her dorm and brush her teeth. The distance was less than a quarter mile. Oh, just feet away. Authorities don't believe Susan ever arrived at her dorm because when they checked her toothbrush, it was dry. There's a possibility that a professor at the university might have seen Susan a few days after she was reported missing, 
he was able to like identify her from a photograph and said that she was wearing a blue top and faded blue jeans. But besides this alleged sighting, which there's no confirmation of, and I don't know, personally, I think it could have been easy to get mistaken, like want to see someone that you want to be okay. And you have a youth conference, so you know there's a ton of kids there right now. So someone's right. bound to look kind of like her. Right. And it's the 70s. Everyone's hair is parted in the middle. Everyone's hair is brown. Everyone's wearing bell bottoms and cute knit tops. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Maybe he did see her. And that makes my heart hurt more because I know who had her for those four days. So I hope that that's not true. But it's not because I want to discredit this person. <laughs> right. It's because I want her to have the least pain that she had to have. Mm. But... Other than that, there's been literally no indication of where Susan is. This is another one of those where we only know because Ted confessed. Susan was a student at Woods Cross High School at the time that she disappeared. She was on the track team and the baseball team, and she just, she had her whole life ahead of her, you know? So we're moving on to bigger and brighter things, though, because this was June 27th, but But at 2.30 a.m. on August 16th of 1975, Ted Bundy was fucking arrested for the first time. Thank God, though. But but for what? Granger, Utah. By the way, after a chase with a highway patrolman. Okay. Yeah. um, Police found masks, gloves, rope, a crowbar, and handcuffs in his car. He was released on bail the next day. But see, this is where things get interesting because, yeah, he was out in August. But that October, you know, Carol Durant, the one who got away, mm-hmm. identified him in a lineup. Hell yeah. There's hella issues with this lineup, by the way. Um, they tried to get a bunch of people that looked like him, but either they dropped out or they couldn't find anyone that looked enough like him. They ended up just using a bunch of officers out of uniform. Okay. Which is like... That's not an ethical lineup. No. But she was able to identify him and identified him correctly, which bless up, yay, Carol. She's like, no, it's the police chief. And she was able to testify then in November of 1975 at his pre-sentencing hearing, right? So he was arrested and charged with aggravated kidnapping and attempted criminal assault of Carol Durant. Attempted assault? Damn. Then. He beat the shit out of her. Because she was testifying at his Mm pre-trial so not his actual trial this is where they determine like bail and things like that Mm -hmm. he was not granted bail so he was held until his trial which probably saved so many fucking lives can you imagine how teddy boy with control issues would feel once someone who got away came back i'm sure that saved so many young women i'm giving carol the biggest hug i know truly so he was held in salt lake county jail until his trial which was on February 23rd of 1976. So on February 23rd, Ted was put on trial for the kidnapping of Carol Durant. Ted sat in a relaxed manner. He was so confident he would be found innocent because he's like the best. I mean, look at me. I'm like a law student. I'm representative of the brightest and the best. I have a slightly symmetrical face and terrible eyebrows, which tells you I'm hot, but relatable. <laughs> also who would how me me, oh, me? i wouldn't i couldn't who me ted the ted with a beetle who looks like that drawing kind of and also had all that stuff no not nah, no couldn't not be me. 
He really believed that there was no hard evidence to convict him. But bless up, he could not have been more wrong. He was like, I'm a law student. I mean, come on. (laughs) When Carol took the stand, she told her entire testimony. And when asked if she was able to recognize the person who attacked her, she started to sob on the stand as she lifted her hand and pointed a finger directly at Ted Bundy, who called himself, quote unquote, Officer Roseland, when he took her to his car. Wow. The people in the courtroom turned their attention to Ted, who stared at Durange coldly as she pointed at him. Later in the trial, Ted said that he had never seen the defendant, but he had no alibi to confirm his whereabouts. Okay, yeah, because he's full of shit. The judge then spent the weekend reviewing the case, which actually, bless up, I love someone who takes their time with this. But he did hand down a verdict two days later, where he found Ted guilty beyond a reasonable doubt of aggravated kidnapping. Ted was also sentenced later, on June 30th, to 1 to 15 years in prison. Okay. And while it's a good I'm, start. Yeah. And, you know, for what they have, I'll take it. Mm-hmm. But while in prison, Ted was subjected to a psychological eval that the court had requested. They can do this, by the way. It's kind of fun. They're like, um, get checked out. And mm-hmm. then you have to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in Anne Rule's book, she actually stated that the psychologist found Ted to be Quote, unquote, neither psychotic, neurotic, the victim of organic brain disease, alcoholic, addicted to drugs, suffering from a character disorder or amnesia and was not a sexual deviate. Wow. Okay. Well, do I have news for you? Um, none of that's true. So <laughs> do you get to keep your license after that? I fucking hope not. Damn. I hope you at least have to go talk to a board about why you got duped by Ted Bundy. The literal like sadist murderer of the 70s like it is your job to weed through all of that yes but if they give you nothing to work on they give you nothing to work on but here's the thing okay um we we just really think that ted has like a strong dependency on women and that he's like codependent and also like he was just he was just like really afraid of being humiliated in relationships with women it was just like scared. It was just like insecure. Okay. They did not just try to make him relatable. They were like, no, 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 no. The man who actually raped and killed your daughter and then went back and raped her dead body. No, he's so relatable. He just doesn't like when women reject him. Oh my God. He was like nervous though. Like, what is he supposed to do? Ask her on a date? Like he was. <sighs> he literally has handcuffs right there. It was really sweet. He was like tapping his leg and he was like a little like nervous and little jittery and he was like do you want to smell my new cologne does it smell like chloroform to you and like what else is he supposed to do that's just oh i hate it i hate it so much so while ted was incarcerated investigators began a search for evidence connecting him to other murders specifically karen campbell and melissa smith but what ted didn't realize was that they were finding lots of things He thought he was so in the clear. But in his VW, so his bug, there were hairs that were examined that were, I mean, hair analysis is a little iffy now, depending on what kind you're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, But they were able to find hairs that were forensically similar to Karen Campbell's. Um, They also had an expression. They were like to literally both Karen's and Melissa's hair, which is awesome. 
But then when they looked further at Karen's head, like her skull remains, it showed that her skull had impressions made by a blunt instrument, and those impressions matched the crowbar that was in his car. Thank God. And Colorado police filed charges against Bundy on October 22nd, 1976 for the murder of Karen Campbell. Wow. So come April of 1977, Ted has been incarcerated this whole time. We're skipping forward. Woohoo! Ted was transferred to the Garfield County Jail in Colorado to wait trial for the murder of Karen Campbell. That sounds too fun. And during the preparation phase, Ted became like, I don't know, just like not really happy with his counsel, you know, mm-hmm. that they like weren't doing a good enough job. So um, he thought that he, he could, would be better. He so better um, he fired them. Oh, yeah. He no. fired them. For defense in his case. Um, He felt confident, though, that he would succeed. I mean, he's a law student. I mean, he's Ted Bundy. He's Ted Bundy. He's a relatable king. He doesn't like rejection. He doesn't like tweezing his eyebrows. He doesn't lose. No. He's just like the rest of us, right? That's such sarcasm. Um, (laughs) But Bundy had, like, a lot of work ahead of him, though, because we're at April, and the trial was going to start in, like, November, so he was like, oh, my gosh, I need permission to leave the confines of this jail so that I can read the law books and do my due diligence and work on my case. No, the law books can be brought to you. Nice try, though, bud. No, um, they let him they they let him use the courthouse library in Aspen to do his research. Of course they did. That's so. always a good idea when you leave them un, unattended. Yeah. Nope. It's really good. Um, And fun fact here. So. Ted, during this time, was up to some shenanigans, if you will. Hmm. Those shenanigans being, according to some of this correctional officers, the COs, that would accompany him to, like, the library when he did his research and all of these things. They said that he was sizing up the place. Like he was casing it, walking yeah, around. Yeah, just, like, looking around, seeing what's where, seeing what windows are where, seeing what's going on. The law books are over here, Ted. Yeah. Right in this only in one spot. And they said they brought it up and nobody believed them, which I have no records to confirm or deny that. They were like, I get paid $2 an hour. I know. They were like, <laughs> he's going to do something. But if you're not going to do anything about it, I'm not going to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. So come June 7th, during one of his trips to the library at the courthouse, Ted um, Ted went up to the library. The library's on the second floor. So he's like looking at his law books and then like maybe the CEO gets like a drink of water, like goes to the water fountain and Ted jumps out the window. (laughs) Ted jumps out the second story window of this courthouse and fucking escapes. Ted Bundy escaped from jail because correctional officers brought up a concern and nobody listened to it. Wow. He broke his ankle, but he survived and he literally ran away. Wow. Um, he was not wearing any leg irons or handcuffs, nor did he stand out among any ordinary citizens because he was able to wear normal clothes. He wasn't wearing like a black and white jumpsuit or an orange one. Nice. Yeah. Um, good thinking, everybody. You did a great job. And, uh, yeah. So then he had escaped and he just, you know, hung out, took cover. The police were quick to respond to this, but somehow Ted knew that they would probably set up city limits. So he stayed within the town 
for the time being so he wouldn't run into any of the blocks. And police launched a massive land search using scent tracking bloodhounds and 150 searchers in the hopes of catching Ted. However, it had been days and they had not found Ted Bundy. If he killed anybody in this time, mm-hmm. that is on them. You yeah. let him escape. You are also liable now. Do you want to hear my favorite shenanigan that Ted did that nobody paid attention to? He played jacks. No. No. Okay. He um he would practice daily jumping off of the second bunk, like the top bunk in his cell. To land it? To start strengthening those knees of steel. So he could get out the yes. window. And so he would case the place every time he went. They noted it. And then he would be like, okay, I'm just going to do my daily jumping. You know that, Ted. <laughs> that fucking guy, he loves gravity. <laughs> he loves jumping. <laughs> he'll get up there and he'll just jump every day. Isn't he just jumps nuts? on down, lands every time. <laughs> Climbs right back the, up. The little, the little engine that could. <laughs> what a piece of shit. <laughs> and nobody, nobody thought to do anything about this. Nobody thought that he might need to have like, at least a one-on-one at all times. Maybe like, hey, maybe we keep the ankle shackles on him. He's a little too quick on his feet. Or maybe we, uh, maybe we handcuff one of the handcuffs to the chair. You know. Maybe we just provide the fucking books so that he can't go there. How about we do that? Yeah. But nope, Teddy Boy is uh, out in a boot, oot if you boot. will. Out in a boot. Um, and that's where we're gonna end today. Fuck that. Ted's on the loose, you guys. It's 1977. um, And it has been a hell of a day. We've covered 17 different victims. My heart hurts. I'm nauseous. Yeah. My head hurts. My stomach hurts. It all hurts. I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's really bad. He is the most scrody nasty evil vile depraved yeah wicked all of the good buzzwords the whole title of that he's netflix sucks a fuck in the words of donnie darko he just he knew how to do it he knew how to make them trust him well and even if he was off even if he was weird People, I think, sort of start to gaslight themselves because this is this is a guy who's just like me. He goes to college. He has dreams. He has goals. He has a career plan. He's got a girlfriend who he loves very much. There's a child that he essentially raised sort of like his own for some time. And so, yeah, he's weird, but like he's just like me. So how weird can he really be? And I think this is where we run into issues because people don't take the red flags glaring at them. And not to get emo and quote Bojack Horseman, but when you're looking at someone through rose-colored glasses, all the red flags just look like flags, right? <laughs> so yeah, I guess. But I don't know. I I always think of the victims in that. What would they have likely been vulnerable to, right? Yeah. And so if you've got a transient population who might be addicted to drugs. And you know that maybe some other unsavory things might be going on at that time, then 
you know statistically that there could be a pimp involved there could be other dangerous people there could be gang relations there could be right. fill in the blanks but you have an idea of people who might not be willing to talk about who's missing who might not notice who is missing yeah who might not realize that that much time has passed where it's already like a survival mode anyway and people are focusing on themselves you take all of that out of the equation with this yeah these are pro-social involved young women close with their families yeah close with their friends had a routine were noticed missing the day of at least recognized reported as different but recognized hey she didn't come home or hey i right. didn't see her this morning and that's odd because she's always there or, hey we had plans and she wouldn't have missed those right and in college i would say that's not as common because you could be at a friend's house or you could be doing this or that so you picked the one that didn't do that right that wasn't so easy to write off a few days right nine times out of ten it was the one that was expected back within the hour yeah and, and he still got away with it feet within hundreds of feet so many times and he did it unnoticed and why would you feel like you'd need a someone to walk you back six houses down no i mean one, you can see it no one would feel that need I mean, granted, she didn't have her glasses on and she probably couldn't have seen it. But your average person would not be like, oh, I'm not. Something's going to happen to me from this right. spot on my street to this spot on my street. And there's this false sense of security when it's a really busy place because mm -hmm. the presence of other people, it's almost like a bell curve in how much it helps you. Because if there's too few, that's you and them alone. And mm -hmm. if there's too many, nobody notices you and him alone. Mm -hmm. You have to have kind of a niche like a the right pocket for mm -hmm. someone to be like ah i'm aware of everything that's happening and this is clocking me as strange right but it is just it's so awful and the things that he did to these women that we're gonna get into next week yeah i just ugh. i appreciate going through the names and the timeline and how quickly they were gone and this and then diving into it afterwards because I think that that would almost be too much to stomach in one episode. It is. And the I also think that part of it takes away from what the victims experienced. And I know I touched a little bit on it. But yes, like every single time it was a bludgeon. It was a brutal assault. It was rape. It was murder. And then it was more rape. And then he'd revisit the bodies and do all of these things. He even kept some fucking like body parts from his quote-unquote special victims like yeah like he played favorites in that way disgusting things terrible things and i think it takes away from all of the victims when by the time i hit victim 13 you're hearing the 13th time of oh he raped and murdered them because it loses its impact mm -hmm. at some point words are just words but he actually did these things to these women he did these things to a fucking 12-year-old. Mm. Not women. Girls. And I don't... I never want to be brazen about that. I don't want to flip past it. I don't want to say the stupid little words that explain it and not hit the impact with it. Because that 12-year-old, that second-to-last person that we talked about, that girl, that child who disappeared from middle school deserves that impact just the same as the rest mm. so before we are done today i do just want to 
remind you that I am excited to see you next week. We'll talk about Ted's capture, escape, capture, and trial, and then execution, where most of what has happened to these women will come out. We also are going to talk a little bit more about attachment theory and how I think that played into what Ted was able to do. But before we go, like last week, I do just want to take a moment for all of the victims that we talked about today. So I'm going to share those now. Linda Ann Healy, 21. Donna Manson, 19. Susan Rancourt, 18. Roberta Parks, 20. Brenda Ball, 22. Georgian Hawkins, 18. Janice Ott, 23. Denise Nasland, 19. Melissa Smith, 17. Laura Ann Aim, 17. Carol Duranch, 18. Deborah Jean Kent, 17. Karen Campbell, 23. Julie Cunningham, 26. Denise Oliverson, 24. Lynette Culver, 12. Susan Curtis, 15. I don't have words. There are none. There are 17 women worth of no words. And there is no easy way to transition out of that. So I'm going to say with that, I am very excited to see you all next week. Please remember to check out our Instagram. Check out that resources tab. (laughs) Resources tab for real. If you need it. Call 988. There's no shame. There's no harm. You're just going to talk to someone who's not Ted Bundy who's going to help. And if you want any of the other ones, they're always in our resources tab. And if you just need a giggle, we have we have some good memes. They're pretty wholesome. We have our whole reprieve folder, the memes that we've made, the other things we've seen. They're all in there. So if you just need a little pick me up and you want to click on through it, then girlfriend, click on through it. Click on through, baby. Um, also keep in mind, we do have every person, place and thing that we talk about here that's pertinent to the cases. So if you go on, you'll find all of the faces of these beautiful and bright young women. And unfortunately, the uh, nasty ass unibrow of Bundy. And where would you find our Instagram page, Abby? That's such a good question. You can do that by searching about time for true crime pod on Instagram. So that's (gasps) A-B-O-U-T period T-I-M-E period F-O-R period T-R-U-E period C-R-I-M-E period P-O-D because podcast was too long. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have an Instagram, if you wanted to enter the giveaway by sending us an email and showing us all that right and review good, good before December 19th, you could definitely do that. But Allie, where would they email us? So if you wanted to send us an email with any of those things, any pod pets, case recommendations, feedback, just want to say hi, feel free to do so. You would email us at about time, the number four, TC at gmail.com. So that's A-B-O-U-T-T-I-M-E, numeric four, TC at gmail.com. And if I look at my watch, that was... About time for true crime. Bye. Bye. Take care of yourself. Use the buddy system. (laughs) Dear God.